This episode brought to you by Audible, and today you can receive a free audiobook and 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash sports. Listen to your audiobook anywhere, anytime. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. This is episode 84. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever platform that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. One thing certain for many of us in life is that we like to have our voice heard. But too often, we focus on just being heard when we should actually be focusing on listening. And our guest this episode, Mark Packer, seems to have this knack for being heard while listening. To many of us, Mark is better known as the Pac-Man or simply Packer, where you can hear him nationally on two different shows, ACC This Morning on Sirius XM and Off Campus with Mark Packer on ESPNU Radio, also airing on Sirius XM. In 1997, Mark began hosting the radio show Prime Time with the Pac-Man on WFNZ Fan 610 in Charlotte, which became a nationally syndicated award-winning show. Show and was the most listened to sports talk radio show in the Carolinas until 2010, when Mark would leave the Charlotte radio scene and began hosting College Basketball Today on Sirius XM before he moved into his radio shows now. Here's episode 84 with Mark Packer. Mark, I can't thank you enough for jumping on here on the podcast with me. I greatly appreciate it. And you're hosting two different shows each day. So I I have to ask, though, are there times, though, you think to yourself, man, I'm just tired of talking today? <laughs> you know, I, no, I'm going to tell you why. Because even though I'm paid to talk, I'm really paid to listen. And I, I've said this many times on the air that uh, the one trait that I have um, really picked up over decades upon decades of doing this is to listen. And I, I, I talk for a living, but I really am intrigued, especially as you know, all the driven as the shows are to pay attention to what the question is and the direction. I may have an agenda of A, I want to accomplish A, B, and C today on the show, but it's sometimes, many times, uh, I'll get to point A and realize this thing's going in a different direction because maybe a caller brought up a point or we get into another topic or whatever happens. So um, it sounds like six hours a day is a lot of talking, but more importantly, it's six hours of listening. And how long did that take you? in terms of developing that skill set? Because listening is not just something that you inherently have. Some people have it more than others. But for you, did you have to work at that, or how did it come natural to you? Uh, maybe both. Um, you know, the, the talking part is the easiest part. Um, the listening part is what you develop, I think, after doing it a number of times. And, of course, if you do something, I don't care if it's mowing grass, cleaning gutters, washing dishes, uh, cooking a hamburger on the grill, uh, the more you do it, the better you should get at it. And listening, I have always thought, is one of those things that you really have to concentrate. It's not just one of those things you, you go through the motions and you can fake it. You either do it or you don't do it. And 
whether it's an interview or whether it's just a regular a guy calling in off the, the streets wanting to talk about Team X, Y, or Z, uh, it's just something that you realize, hey, for the next when I put the headset on, I really am dialed. It's almost like the key to say, okay, for the next three hours, I am going to be absolutely locked in to whatever comes my way. And so I think the more you do it, the better you get, just like anything else. And do you go back and ever listen to past shows and past interviews and critique yourself? Never. Uh, I know you're supposed to. I've been told by all the quote-unquote experts that say, hey, go back and analyze. I don't have time. But once it happens, it happens. (laughs) I constantly make notes during a show. I mean, I've kept a notepad on every show I've ever done from the days back at WFNZ 20-some-odd years ago. I I could go back in the files and and pull out, uh, you know, September 28th, uh, 1999, and tell you exactly uh, what the topics were. Maybe somebody made a great point. I put it. It's like an etch-a-sketch, looking at my notepad at the end of a show. So I don't go back and listen to any old shows, but I'm constantly making notes of uh, either a great stat or somebody made a good point or it hits a nerve for maybe to do a topic uh, a month from now or whatever the case may be. So. I mean, I'm constantly writing, writing, writing. And I think that's probably another lost start, too, to be honest with you. It definitely is. And so it sounds like you have a lot of content. Have you ever thought about potentially publishing something, some type of book? I have threatened my wife that when I finally get sick and tired of doing this, that I am going to write a book between all the great interviews and people that you meet and crazy stories in the radio business and sports in general. I could probably write a really, really entertaining book. And um, there's a reason I keep all that stuff, even though my wife drives me crazy. and says, you need to throw all that stuff away. I'm like, no. <laughs> there's a rhyme and a reason why one of these days when I finally say, I'm sick and tired of listening for six hours a day, I'll disappear and just write a crazy book about all the stuff that's happened. Of course. And so what does your prep look like in terms of, you know, you've got all this content. And so for your shows, as you're preparing this listening, what does your prep look like? Uh, I normally, just in general, I'll probably use about 10% of what I prep for a show per show. Uh, It doesn't mean it's not used later, uh, because that happens all the time, too, that you say, man, I really wish I got into this topic. I didn't get around to it, and I'll put it on the side. I'll make another note and say, you know, this topic would work on maybe another date or something along those lines. But I constantly read. I mean, um, it really never stops. Um, You know, I'll obviously have dinner after the 7 o'clock show, to get caught up with what the day is with my wife and see what the girls are doing. Of course, they're down at Clemson and and all that stuff. But, I mean, I'm constantly reading uh, something on the Internet, a book, whatever the case may be. Uh, It just never stops. I mean, really, there's no hour in the day, and I don't get a whole lot of sleep. I don't sleep much. Um, (laughs) So I'm constantly reading and making notes, and you try to put it all together. And, you know, each day for three hours in the morning and three hours in the afternoon, you you try to do something that's entertaining that would make the – a guy driving back from a real job interested in either what you're talking about or a conversation or an interview or whatever it happens to be. So the prep work never, never ends. And part of that prep work, obviously all the reading, but there are, are there also guys that you listen to or shows that you listen to that you have over the years as part of some of your prep? No, not really. I mean, I, I'm so busy reading that, um, you know, I'm not worried about what another show's doing uh, unless they incorporate me in some shape, way, or form, and either I agree or disagree their take. But if it doesn't involve what I'm working on, I don't worry about it. I mean, the cool thing about Sports Talk Radio is there isn't just one way to have success. The cool thing is you can 
there's a thousand of different ways that you can get successful, whether it be a local show, a regionally syndicated show, or a national show. So I don't spend any time, quite frankly, listening to any other shows. If you think about it, I mean, it's we got 24 hours in a day, six hours. I know exactly where I'm going to be from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. and from <laughs> 4 right. p.m. to 7 p.m. I know I've got to spend some quality time with my wife, however long that's going to take. you got to read all day. So really, because you know, people always say, did you see something, something on television last night? Well, the TV may be on, but I'm not watching it. And um, so, again, you know, you're constantly working to find angles or different uh, approaches, or maybe there's something that I'm intrigued by a rule. It could be a player or whatever. I mean, there's a thousand different things you could talk about that you're constantly looking for different angles and how you're going to approach it and how you're going to set it up on the show the next day. Well, you've obviously had success uh, starting – the radio show there in Charlotte in 1997. But let's walk back even before that. And most people know that you're the son of Billy Packer, well-known and one one of the guys that I grew up listening to in terms of a sportscaster, a color analyst for college basketball, my passion. So what was life growing up for you in the Packer household and how you started gravitating towards sports? Well, it was great because uh, I got a chance, number one, to meet unbelievable people, and I've been blessed in that department. Uh, you got a chance to travel and uh, and see different schools and arenas and coaches and practices and, and all that stuff, not to mention what you can see on TV. Uh, and it's amazing how far we've come in that department, too, whether we're talking college hoops or football or any sport for that matter. So it was an awesome experience growing up. It was a different pressure because you were Billy's kid and all that stuff. But after a while, you just kind of got immune to that and numb to it. But the cool thing about it was the people you were able to meet and the places you were able to go. And I can't tell you how often I'll think back to maybe doing a show and have a vision or memory of something that happened in the past. Could be a game, could be an arena, could be a coach, uh, could be a moment uh, that you try to tie all that stuff in together. So it, it, it has gone hand in hand for what I'm doing now, but I never thought I'd be doing this for a living. But growing up as a kid and, and all the things, all the doors that were open from that perspective, I, I couldn't even put a price tag on it. It was uh, invaluable and a great deal of fun. And was there one particular moment that you remember vividly that you were starstruck based on where you were or who you were meeting at that time? Um, growing up in Winston-Salem, uh, I was a big NC State fan growing up as a kid. And during that time, the NC State basketball team with Monty Town, Tommy Burleson, and David Thompson, and Norm Sloan as a coach, to me, they were the rock stars uh, when I was growing up as a kid. And the first time I met David Thompson, uh, I remember it was right outside Cameron Indoor Stadium. And uh, that was the first time I was like, oh, my God, it's David Thompson. And <laughs> Uh, of course, it feels like that was 100 years ago, and maybe it was 100 years ago. Uh, but that was the first time I really met somebody that was like, I can't believe I just met David Thompson. And um, and every time I see old NC State highlights back in black and white, for crying out loud, and you see David Thompson jumping out of the gym, I'm like, man, I still remember. That was my man, DT, for <laughs> NC State. So he, he was my first go-to star uh, from that perspective growing up as a kid. And how often did you travel with your dad to some of these sporting events? Well, I'll just tell you a funny story. He, he would um, he would allow um, – I've got one younger sister and one younger brother, and so I was the oldest. So, but he would allow me to pick one game a year on his TV schedule that I could go. And um, I remember he showed me the schedule once, and he said, all right, Mark, what do you think? Where do you want to go? 
he could go to UCLA, he could go to Michigan. I mean, anywhere. It didn't matter. Whatever the TV schedule was. And, again, growing up in Winston-Salem, I picked Indiana at North Carolina. And he's like, Mark, you've been to Chapel Hill <laughs> dozens of times on the C.D. Chesley ACC sale of the pilot game. I was like, why would you want to go back to Chapel Hill when you could go to, again, anywhere? And I said, well, that's just the game I want to go to. I want to go to Indiana at North Carolina. So he laughed at me. He said, all right, come on, let's go. And um, so we go to the game. And, again, it's Bobby Knight against Dean Smith. This was 19 – this was the 1980 season, I think it was. And they were playing in December. And um, the game was in Chapel Hill. And so we go to practice. I get to watch Bobby Knight in a practice. And which was awesome. And now here comes Dean Smith. He comes out. They could do a practice watching that. It was great. And this was in the days that Billy was doing the games with um, Dick Enberg and Al McGuire. And so that night, the night before the game, Dean Smith had invited the entire TV crew to go to dinner at one of his favorite places to eat in Chapel Hill, which was this French restaurant, which I don't remember the name of it. And so we go, and Al McGuire and Billy and I are going to the restaurant, and we get there, and it's a private room, and Dean Smith's got us sitting there, and, and Dick Enberg wasn't going to be able to do the game because he was doing an NFL game that weekend, so they had a fill-in for Dick Enberg. So we sit down at the table, private room, a uh, waitress comes out, and she starts speaking in French, and she's basically giving us the menu Al McGuire thought she was singing a song. So she gets done doing the menu. Al's clapping like, oh, that was beautiful. Do you know another one? And so Dean Smith knew instantly that Al was totally in over his head. So Dean ordered for all of us. And, um, and ironic, Bobby Knight was invited, but he didn't show up, and rightfully so. It made sense. And so we sit down. I'll never forget the guy at the end of the table that was filling in for Dick Enberg starts going into these basketball questions instantly about the 2-1-2 zone press and trap and all this stuff. And Al McGuire stops. And, and if you know Al at all, he was one of the all-time greats. He was just a total uh, free spirit. And he stops this guy from asking, the play-by-play guy from asking the question. He goes, excuse me, I have a question. Who are you? And Al had <laughs> no idea who the guy was because he was filling in for Dick Enberg. And so the, the poor announcer had, and you can imagine how embarrassed he was. There he is getting his first big break to do this national game with Billy and Al. It's North Carolina against Indiana. And the guy stops and goes, I'm sorry, Al. I, I'm filling in for Dick Enberg. And Al goes, well, what's your name? Because Al had no idea who he was. <laughs> and the guy says, I'm Bob Costas. <laughs> and so sure enough, it was Bob Costas breaking in for Dick Enberg. And so every time I see Costas now, he's gone down as, one of the true greatest broadcasters in the history of sportscasters. Uh, I always think of that story thinking, you know, everybody starts somewhere. So it's a story that I will never, ever forget. That is classic. And to your point, we all start at some point. It doesn't matter how big the platform gets everybody had to start at some point and for bob costas being asked by al mcguire who you are that is phenomenal so thank you for sharing that well what's even funnier is you know billy giving me all this grief about that game ironically later that season indiana played north carolina for the national championship game that was the day reagan got shot um so again it kind of goes full circle kind of like what you talked about you know growing up opportunities, people you meet, stories you can tell. And I can tell that story today on the air 
uh, at any point in time and people just laugh and go, oh, my God, I can't believe something like that happened. And that's, you know, to me, that's the beauty of this job is the, the relationships and the people you meet. There's so many great people uh, in sports and in broadcasting that um, you can kind of tie all those kind of stories together. And when was it that you felt that I realized that who we call dad is actually a big deal? Or did you ever have that type of moment? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, and the reason I call Billy Billy is because he was doing games with C.D. Chesley and the, you know, the, the ACC game of the week. And every time you turn the television on, it'd be like, okay, Billy, what do you think about so-and-so? You know, what does uh, Virginia have to do to, to beat Maryland or what? And so I thought it was funny. Like, that was dad, right? <laughs> I went, Billy. And so he'd come back from games and we'd always, hey, Billy, what do you think about this? Hey, Billy. So it almost became a running joke. And to this day, uh, I mean, he is his dad. He's Billy. and um, But he is dad, but we don't call him that. So that's how that whole thing got started, and it's really stuck for 40-some-odd years for kind of love. Well, that's a family tradition then, sounds like. And one of the things that I also enjoy in terms of hearing some of these stories that you're sharing and just people's journey is, and so if you mentioned that you didn't think that you know, being a sportscaster or a sports talk radio host was going to be in your future. So what did you think your future was going to hold for you as you were growing up? I didn't know. I, in fact, I, it, getting into this business was completely uh, impossible. That people always say, well, how, how did you get involved with this? And you're like, dude, you don't want to hear my story because it is impossible to follow my path. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I went to Clemson. I was an economics major. I got into the television syndication business right out of college. Uh, did that for a little bit. Ended up back at Clemson. We had put together a group called the Clemson Broadcast Group to take care of the radio and the TV in-house, which was kind of unique back in the late 80s. Uh, LSU was doing it. They hired me as a consultant. Maryland wanted to do it. They hired us to do that in-house. Uh, got tired of doing that. Eventually ended up in the construction business for a year which I didn't really have any interest, just thinking I needed a change of pace from sports. Uh, went and worked for the Blockbuster Bowl one year doing corporate sales, which I despised. I hated it. Um, <laughs> and, and then eventually started my own company and uh, doing sports marketing and, and projects and all that kind of stuff, which was fine. And uh, But where it all kind of came together, um, and this, again, I was just kind of a free spirit. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. But I got a phone call one day from a guy by the name of Terry Hansen who I had met six or seven years prior at the Blockbuster Bowl. And Terry was working uh, for doing multiple jobs, and he was a consultant for a new sports talk radio station, which was opening up in Charlotte. And he contacted me to see if I'd be interested in meeting with the new general manager about maybe some marketing opportunities. I said, sure, it'd be great. And so he lined up this meeting with a guy by the name of Mike Kellogg, who was coming down from WEEI, which is one of the great sports talk stations in America, still is. And he was coming down to start this new station in Charlotte. And so he said, I'd like to have a meeting with Mark. And so Terry arranged me to have this meeting with this new general manager. I remember showing up at the office. Nobody was there. I sat down in the guy's office. He wasn't there. He finally showed up. And about two minutes into the conversation, he goes, okay, cool. I want you to meet uh, this guy, Matt Pinto. He's our afternoon host. You guys figured it out. And I, I got to go. And I'm like, well, I'm going to meet him about what? I mean, he's like, I want to hear you guys on the air. I had no interest in being on the air. I'd put together radio networks. I'd put together corporate sales. I'd put together, you know, station relations. I've done all that, but being on the air, I had no interest in going on the air. So I sat down with this guy, Matt Pinto, who I didn't know at all. 
And he goes, well, I guess I'll see you this afternoon at 3 o'clock. And he walked. <laughs> and I'm still sitting in the guy's office. And it was a five-minute meeting. And I remember driving home. And we had just had our uh, first baby. And my wife looked at me. She goes, guys, you got back early. I said, it's the worst business meeting I've ever had, ever. And she goes, well, what happened? So I explained to her. And she goes, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I guess I'm going to read up and go back to the radio station and go on the air. She goes, well, what do you know about doing that? I said, nothing. <laughs> so I could put together a, a radio station where I could do everything but do something on the air. I've never done it, really, for the most part. I dabbled in it, but I never wanted to do it. So I went back later that same afternoon, went on the air for an hour. and took. It felt like it went by in about two seconds. It went by seamlessly, easy. And I remember, oh, that was fun. So I got done, walked out, thinking there's a guy who's going to be sitting there going, man, you did a great job. You're awesome. There was nobody there. <laughs> and I was so ticked off. I said, I cannot believe I walked into this radio station twice in one day, totally ticked off walking out the front door twice. And I remember getting home that night, and I walked home, and I said, uh, open the door, and my wife there with the baby. I said, well, how'd I do? She goes, I didn't listen to that. I, you know, <laughs> and so now I'm really hot. Like, now I really felt like I'd thrown everything away. So later that night, Terry Hansen called and uh, the guy that started the whole deal, putting together together, putting the uh, deal together, and he said, hey, listen, I need to talk to you. I said, I'm glad you called. And I ripped into it. I just ripped him to death. I said, Terry, I can't believe you wasted my time with that fly-by-night organization. I went over there. So I just spewed. I just got off my chest. And he said, well, well, that's great because they want to hire you. I said, to do what? <laughs> he goes, they want to hire you to go on the air. I said, I have no interest. Thank you very much. Don't call me. I'll call you. And I hung up. And my wife was staring at me. And she goes, what's your problem? And I said, what are you talking about? What's my problem? I've wasted my entire day. She goes, well, it sounds like they offered you a job. And I said, they did. And she goes, and you hung up on them. I said, I did. And she goes, are you crazy? I said, what are you talking about? She goes, you just told me when you got back that that one hour went by in two minutes, and now they're going to pay you to do it. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and I thought she was nuts. So I said, you're crazy. You're as crazy as Terry Hansen and those people I've met with at that radio station. And I stewed over it for two or three days. And sure enough, Terry Hansen ended up calling me back at the end of the week. He goes, hey, have you calmed down yet? I said, yeah, what do you want? He goes, we're offering you the job. Do you want to be a host? And I said, well, I've got my own company here. How am I going to do it? They, oh, you'll make it work. You know, we'll have you on from 9 to noon. You can still do your business in the morning and the afternoon. And so I accepted it. And I did it. And it took off. And the ironic thing about it is about five weeks after we got started on the air with this new sports talk station in Charlotte, Matt Pinto, the guy that I did the one-hour audition with, left to become the play-by-play -play voice of the Dallas Mavericks. And so the station did this national, shirt, national, national search to replace Matt. And I get a phone call in the middle of the night one night from this guy, Mike Kellogg, the boss. says, hey, I want to give you a call, let you know that we found our guy to, to replace Matt Pinto. And, of course, my response was, well, I don't care who you replace him with. It's got nothing to do with me. He goes, well, actually, it does. And I said, well, great. Well, who is it? They said, well, we want you to replace him. <laughs> And I said, well, I'm not going to accept that. I said, I'm not going to do that. That's afternoon drive. That screws up my whole business day. I've got this thing. After six weeks, I'd finally figured out how to put together my sports talk uh, deal and my sports marketing company. And I had to kind of figure it out. Now you're telling me to throw it all away because I'm going to have to do afternoon drive now. So he goes, I, you know, you, you don't have a chance to say no. You're doing it. And you start on Monday, which you get this phone calls on Friday night. And I hung up the phone. I was livid. And my wife looked at me and she goes, have you not learned a lesson yet? 
you know, this is how you got in this situation. Of, hey, accept the job. We'll make it work. Go figure it out later. And so, sure enough, I took over afternoon drive, prime time with the Pac-Man, and about six months later, the show exploded. And the ratings were great, and we ended up going into syndication, and here we are 20-some-odd years later, still doing it now on the national scene. So when people say, how'd you get into sports talk radio, I almost roll my eyes and go, you really don't want to hear this story, but that's the way it works. No, and I love that story because that's what's so unique about people's journey is that you think it's from point A to B, and it's typically not. It's a meandering Never. type of journey, right? Yeah, A to Z is never a straight line. It's, um, it's you know, you're going to get knocked up. You're going to get kicked around. You're going to have to figure out a way to pick yourself up. There are going to be times that you're riding high. You think you got this thing figured out. It's never, it's never a straight line. And um, but that's why life is life. You know, you just make the best of it. And um, yeah, but the cool thing about this business, and I think I could speak for anybody that does it, regardless of how much you make or how little you make or how big the station is or whatever the how big the show is you meet great people. And to me, that's what it's all about. I mean, really the stories, the people you meet, the, the relationships you gather, um, it just makes life a little bit more fun from that perspective. And when you talk about that first time that you did accept to do the morning show uh, from nine to 12, and you obviously had the input of your wife, but what was the tipping point where you decided, all right, yes, I'm going to do it. Why did you decide to jump in? Uh, because it didn't feel like work. Uh, the sports marketing company that I had, which was basically me and then whatever the project was, that was work. I mean, that, that was a grind. That, that was a pressure of, hey, how am I going to get food on the table? i got to make this. The, the talking, the sports talk thing to me was effortless. There, there was, um, you know, I'm not saying that you just roll out of bed. I mean, you had to be prepared to talk and do your job and all that stuff, but it didn't seem like work to me. Uh, raking leaves and you know, pulling weeds and uh, uh, and mowing the grass—that's work. I, I wouldn't want to do that. If I don't care what you pay, that, that is too much. I can't handle that. <laughs> but the, the talking part, sitting down talking sports—I mean, that was just like doing what you do with your buds. Uh, that was just sitting around the bar and and having a cocktail and uh, discussing uh, why Team A beat Team B or what was this coach thinking about. So I, it was kind of an effortless seamless transition and you know three hours on the air people sometimes go oh my god how do you sit around and talk for three hours I, i'm gonna tell you I, I i've been doing this a long time i don't ever ever think that sitting around doing a three-hour show lasts long i mean i never look at the clock and go oh my god it's only 425 that never crosses my mind when i'm doing the show yeah it, go, it goes by really fast doesn't it no, it's, it's, it's done. And I can't tell you how many times the show will come to an end. You're like, oh, man, we could keep going for another five hours on this topic. And you know you can't. But um, I, I never worry about time. I mean, that, that's that, – I mean, you, you get, you're constantly you, – you know that, hey, I know i got to go to break at this moment and all that. That part, you get the time. But in terms of, man, this is a grind or this is really slow or – that never, ever crosses my mind, ever. And obviously, with your name, Mark Packer, it's easy to deduct that your nickname, Pac-Man, obviously comes from your last name. But what's the genesis of the first people or first time people are calling you Pac-Man? Uh, that started actually when I was in Clemson. Um, and, and the video game Pac-Man uh, was bigger than life. And that's how that, that whole thing got started. Um, 
Like it, you know, just because I think the Packers thing, but it was just like, oh, it's the Pac-Man, and that whole, da, 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 da. you know, it was just you know, eating and talking, and uh, it just it seemed like a natural fit. So that's how that whole thing got started. Uh, but that was only because of the craze of the Pac-Man video game. Uh, when I was in school 100 years ago. That's how that whole thing got started. Well, I know I've played a lot of Pac-Man, so I can understand why that came about. How did you get to Clemson, though? You're growing up in North Carolina. Your dad went to Wake Forest. I mean, how did you get all the way to South Carolina and Clemson? That is another story. Um, Again, I grew up a big NC State fan. Uh, The girl that I was dating in high school, uh, her relatives all lived in Greenwood and Greenville, South Carolina, and and she was a big North Carolina fan. I'm a big NC State fan, so you can tell that that was that had no future to begin with. <laughs> that's so, right. That's divided. Um, that's already. I mean, that was already trouble to begin with. So uh, one day she said, "Hey, uh, this weekend we're going to go down and see my relatives. Do you want to go down to a Clemson football game?" And this was 1980. And I said, "Sure. I've never been down there. Never been to Clemson in my life. I heard about it, but never been it." been down there. So we decided to go. And of course, growing up in Winston-Salem, you know, you're used to going to the infamous Grove Stadium for a Wake Forest game. There'd be 13,000 people there. And you could sit on the bank and, you know, roll in the grass and parking was never an issue and all that stuff. So we go down to Clemson and they're playing North Carolina. And that year, North Carolina had a great, great team, Lawrence Taylor, amongst others. And I'd never again had ever been to Clemson. And I remember we were going to sit on the hill and we rolled down there, and as soon as I got out of the car, you could sense, holy mackerel, what is this party about? And I remember sitting on the hill, and when the Tigers touched Howard's Rock, and they coming down the hill, and the noise, it was so loud in that place. And I was just blown away. It turned out to be a great game, and North Carolina ended up making a goal line stand to win the game and uh, not get upset. And um, I remember coming back home, and walking in the house, and Billy and Barb were sitting there, and Billy goes, how was your trip? And I said, I know where I want to go to school. And I thought he was going to fall off the chair. <laughs> and he goes, you're kidding me. I said, it was the coolest place I'd ever been. And so sure enough, that's how I got hooked on Clemson. And when it was finally time to start looking at schools, it really came down to Clemson and Georgia for me. And I loved both places. I loved Athens when I visited, and I really loved the people at Clemson and loved the whole experience. But because of my girlfriend at the time, uh, inviting me to go down there for game. If that didn't happen, I probably never would have stepped foot or would have known about what that was all about. And that's how that whole deal worked out. Well, see, again, there's this meandering path. You just never know how it's going to go, right? <laughs> I have mastered the meandering path. There's, there is never, ever a straight line with me with any kind of story. I it can seems that you. way. It seems like you have a backstory to every story that, that you've uh, been a part of. Nuts. But that's what, that's what makes it fun. I mean, you know, you just... And that's, I think the other thing, too, knowing that in my history and all that, that's why I'm always inquisitive when I meet people or see things that I'm like, well, let's just see what that's all about. Because you don't know where it's going to take you. I mean, that's the, the beautiful thing. And, and for the most part, I've been able to do it without getting arrested or getting in any trouble, <laughs> but which is good. Uh, but I have always been inquisitive from that perspective. And that probably helps me in some respects from an interview standpoint and uh, just what we do for a living. That's right. Well, as a Clemson grad, I completely understand just that gravitational pull because I was the same way, just stepping foot on campus. It was an immediate, this is where I want to go to school. So I, I completely understand that. And now with you on the radio, though, was there ever a time where you felt that you had to be very aware of not being a Clemson homer? Sure. I think about it all the time. Um, as a fan, I, I want them to win every game they play. 
as an alum. I want them to win every game they play. Uh, but I also know what my job is. And my job is when we sit here talk on a national basis, and I'm going to cover every school in America, that, hey, when Clemson does something great, I'm going to praise them. Uh, if they do something that that's wrong or they get blown out or poorly coached, I'm going to say it. And it doesn't mean I don't love Clemson University. I obviously do. I've got two daughters that have decided to go there, and they could have gone anywhere they wanted to. I didn't pressure them to go uh, to Clemson. So uh, I've always took the approach on doing a national show that I'm going to be incredibly fair. Uh, now, it, now, behind closed doors, do I want them to win every game? Absolutely. That's, there's a pride of it. That's your alma mater. It's your school blood, sweat, and tears and all that stuff. But in terms of doing a show, um, you know, I treat Clemson no differently than I'd treat Michigan or UCLA or Texas or, or uh, South Carolina, for that matter. So uh, that's always been my approach. I know there's some Clemson people who go, oh, man, he hates Clemson. I don't – it couldn't be any further from the truth. Uh, but that's the approach on the air. And I think that, that if you're going to be fair, you got to be fair. Uh, and that's true whether we're talking about uh, your favorite coaches, your favorite teams, favorite players, whatever the case may be. You can have those – but I think you need to be consistent in your approach when you start breaking down games or conferences or bowl games or, or any kind of results. And do you have a particular most memorable moment as a Clemson fan? Well, I'll, you know, for instance, um, one of the coolest things for me, my freshman year at Clemson was 81 when the Tigers won the national championship. And uh, I will never forget being at the Orange Bowl and watching them beat Nebraska and the feeling of winning the national championship. And, you know, again, your freshman year, you're thinking, man, we're going to do this every year. Well, you find out pretty quickly it doesn't work that way. But for me personally, um, my oldest daughter, Gigi, who's now a rising senior, uh, she wanted to go out to uh, Phoenix when Clemson, Alabama won, uh, was going to take place. I said, nah, it's going to cost too much. Tickets are crazy. Plus you got school and getting back. So I had all the reasons why she shouldn't go. And, of course, Alabama wins the game, a great game uh, against Deshaun Watson. It was just an awesome football game. So the next year, we get Bama-Clemson, too. And now we're down in Tampa, and um, my daughter Gigi said, Dad, Tampa, I can get to Tampa. And I said, okay, you know what, I got extra room uh, if you want. And so I ended up flying her down, and I said, I got extra room. I said, you're going to be out with your girlfriends having fun. I got a thousand things to do work-wise, but we'll hook up. And – the fact that Clemson beats Alabama in one of the great games of all time, uh, being on the field, and the fact that I had my oldest daughter in the stands to watch it and experience it like I remembered back in 81 was the best. And I still remember uh, we got done doing uh, interviews and everything else, and she had like a 7 a.m. flight the next morning. And I was still at the stadium about 2 in the morning, and I was going to interview Deshaun Watson and, and Dabo. Uh, even though we weren't live, we were going to get the interviews, and they agreed to do it. So, I mean, it was, again, 2, 2.30 in the morning. And we do the interviews. And I remember walking, I got done, and I walked back out onto the field, and I just grabbed a handful of confetti that they blow out for the champions and all that stuff, and I stuck it in my pocket. And I remember going back to the hotel room that, really, that morning, which was about 4 a.m., and she had to get up at 5 a.m. to catch her flight. And I remember waking her up, and I threw the confetti on her <laughs> and just said, how's it feel to be a national champion? And she loved it. And I was like, you know what? That's the kind of stuff that I love because I remember as a freshman winning the national championship at Clemson, and here's my daughter at the time, a sophomore, who had a chance to experience it as well. So to me, that was a really cool moment and connection 
that I'll never forget now, of course, our youngest, Emerson, who's a rising sophomore, is like, Dad, we need to win one for me now. So <laughs> right. uh, we'll, we'll see how Dab I'm not putting any more pressure on Dabo. It's already <laughs> tough enough. But uh, if she can experience it and win one, that would be pretty cool, too. Yeah, she needs life to come full circle twice so she can grab that right. national championship. <laughs> exactly. That way, we do, you know, you get everybody covered. Now, my wife went to Virginia Tech. And I've told her, I, I can't help you with the Hokies. You're That's on right. your own with all this. So <laughs> you have to figure that one out. And through the whole career that you've had so far, what are some of the – is there even a point where you could pinpoint this was the most memorable interview that I've had or somebody that you really uh, you know, were scouting now that you wanted to have on your show or interview and that you were able to do that? Uh, that, that may be for the book. Uh, there are so many – Goodness gracious. I, you know, maybe the day James Brown showed up unexpected with his entire band <laughs> and ate barbecue ribs with us on the air for an hour and sang songs. And uh, that was great. Uh, Jimmy Carter calling in out of the blue. Uh, the president listening to the show as he's driving through Charlotte. I want to just talk about Braves baseball. Uh, th- there are so many. Uh, goodness gracious. I, I, I th- That's. Uh, there's so many. I, I couldn't pinpoint one. There's just been too many. You mean, again, you meet so many great people, but, um, you know, the different walks of life. I've had as much fun with entertainers as I've had with probably sports figures. I remember making fun of Kenny Chesney one day because he was going to be in the building to be at a, a country uh, station, and I decided just to make fun of him. I didn't know who he was. I still don't listen to country music, and he heard about it. And so he, he told the, the boss boss at the time, uh, who's this Packer guy making fun of me on the radio? I want to go talk to him. And so they brought him in, and um, and they were mortified, of course. The, the bosses were mortified that I would do this. Uh, but Kenny Chesney literally walked in the studio, sat down right beside me, and uh, introduced himself. And um, I said to him, well, we're now um, being uh, entertained by Kenny Chesney. I said, Kenny, let me just start the interview off by saying I have no idea who you are. And he responded, well, that's cool, dude, because I've never heard of you before either. And we hit it off. And what turned out to be supposedly like a five-minute drop-by turned into a two-hour talk about Tennessee football and what's wrong with the balls. And uh, we made a cool connection that whole day. So, I mean, there's so many of those kind of stories that uh, I could go on and on and on. But there's, you know, that's the cool thing about this job is that you really, truly do get a chance to meet some really great, great people. I'm anxious for the book to come out because I, I want to <laughs> read more about those type of stories for sure. <laughs> and as we're wrapping up here, Mark, I always ask people to share some life advice or any phrases, quotes or mottos or you know just words of wisdom that you might have leaned on over the years that you would like to share. Well, it's funny you should say that. In fact, as we're talking, I'm walking out to my um, my den, which has got a, a thing. I keep a little red book that I carry around all the time. I told you I like to write down phrases and notes from shows and all that stuff. And, and so I like to find things that, um, that normally kind of keep me grounded a little bit. And uh, there's a couple that immediately come to mind. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you one of my best ones. I just found this one the other day. Let me get to my right page here. This comes from, um, we'll give you two of them. One comes from Henry Ford who says, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. That's Henry Ford. And the other one was from Will Rogers, who said, don't let yesterday take up too much of today. And I think both of those are right on the money, right on the money. 
So uh, I like to write down those little phrases and stuff. You run across some stuff from time to time, and I keep them in this little red book that I carry around with me at all times. But those were the last couple that I wrote down that really kind of hit home. Well, and those two will definitely help kind of keep you grounded, as you mentioned. And I love those. So thank you for sharing those. And also, Mark, just thank you for your time sharing a little bit more about your journey and being a part of my crazy podcasting journey. I I greatly appreciate it from one Clemson grad to another. Thank you so much. You got it. And go Tigers. A byproduct of having this innate ability to be a good listener is that you can actually become a better storyteller and obviously learning more about other people, which only helps build relationships. And there's no doubt that Mark has been able to meet so many people through the years and all of the interviews and conversations that he's had, but it's his ability of being such a good listener that has helped build those strong relationships. Now that finishes episode 84 and remember focus forward so we don't live in the past all the best everyone you've been listening to rich take on sports the sports podcast with life visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed you can also follow us on twitter at rich take sports thanks for listening 